0: Bob, about um, our money for tonight. That's right. Uh, Two hundred dollars. And you boys drank three hundred dollars worth of beer. Is that asking for too much? Just a, <laughs> that's it. Oh,
1: oh, man! The the yeah, well, you know, that's just like uh, your opinion, man.
0: And welcome to episode 3 of Free Range Idiocy. This is part 2 of our two-parter on reboots. Uh, Last episode we covered the worst, why we don't like reboots, and some of the worst examples thereof. This time we'll be covering the best, so you get to hear a lot of fawning adoration for things that we like. One more little bit before we get into the actual meat of the episode. You can find us at freerangeidiocy.com on the interwebs. That'll take you right to our Podbean page. You can also follow us on Twitter, at Freerange Idiocy. You can also find us on Facebook, at Freerange Idiocy. you have any questions, thoughts, concerns, outright bribery, feel free to send us a message on either one of those platforms. And now, without further ado... Here we go. He's the best. Love it. All right, so now that we've talked about the worst of reboots, although we wandered all over the place with that, but hey, that's why it's called free-range idiocy. Uh, this is basically an excuse for the two of us to sit around and talk, and you get to listen in, so you kind of get what you get. So now let's talk about good reboots and what makes a reboot good. Um, and I would love to hear your opinion on this, mostly because I would like to have a sip of my beverage.
1: <laughs> well, I will uh, help where I can. Um, you know, I, I think for me, a, a good reboot is really about, um, and we've touched on this already when we were talking about what is the shortcomings of the worst, which is the the creativity um, expressed in the story, the 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 characters and. You know, I think the ones that we're going to get into are great examples of how proper uh, character storytelling makes a huge difference in terms of how the product, you know, comes out at the end. I think um, when you talk about anything from, you know, a, a TV or movie story. Uh, I think the most successful ones are the ones where characters are at the core of the story that's being told. That there is time and investment spent in developing those characters, and at the end, um, you know, much like we saw, like in Avengers Endgame, I think one of the things that made that movie so so good was the payoff to a number of different character story arcs. Which, if you had not put that kind of investment in, uh, I'm looking at you, DC. Um,
0: oh, uh, you, you
1: shabbit! Throw in the shade. Well, you know, you gotta throw and and uh, call a spade a spade. But
0: um, you are never getting hired at DC now.
1: That's fine. Uh, <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, somebody has some serious career prospects. I was kind of <laughs> holding out for that. <laughs> Thank you for ruining my life.
1: Uh, you're welcome. Um, but but yeah, I, I think at the core of it is character. Um, and so I think when we talk through some of these examples, um, that's, that's what it is. And I think, you know, when we were talking through some of the ones that we labeled the worst, I, I think we made it pretty clear that just kind of doing a vanilla storytelling job with something that has already been done is just, just doesn't cut it. I mean, I, 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 I think it's at that point just, uh, you know, you're, you're simply cashing in on, on something that has been proven to be, um, you know, a, a, solid product. And so, so I think in, in these next examples we're going to go through, I think that's really what it's more about. And I, and, and I think it's done, you know, I think from a story perspective, um, it's, you know, the story is done in a way that is, that it connects with the audience, you know, that, that the audience can, can get engaged into it, as opposed to the audience just feeling like it's watching, you know, version 2.0 of something they've already seen before.
0: And I think you you've actually hit on a brilliant thing there. Um, and it's something I wish that I had thought of to say before now. And I'm kicking myself and hating you all for it at the same time. But um, so, <laughs> that, that's why I'm here, man. Uh, n- normally we do our, you know, hey, you want to check this thing out later. But this is something that I've really, I, you know, kind of. All right, fine. I'll just say it. I, I've I've I've. I'm, I'm a bit of a writer and I've, I've always kind of wanted to write screenplays just because I thought it would be cool. It, it just seems like a real fun thing to do. And I don't have the patience to write a 300, 400, 500 page novel. So I'm like, hey, screenplays are much less than that. They must be easier. They're not. Let me just tell you, screenplays are a very, can be a very difficult format to work in. But I've started uh, over the past couple of years, I've, I've spent a lot of time reading screenplays and, and listening to interviews with, uh, with screenwriters. And I've also uh, spent a lot of time listening to a podcast called Script Notes, which is um, by John August and Craig Mazin, who is the guy who was behind Chernobyl, which was my last like thing to check out. Um, and one of the things that I've picked up along all of that, and especially through Script Notes uh, as well, is that it's it's not plot it's not story all of that is character character is what drives those without a good without good characters plot and story do nothing yeah you wind up with like b c d level movies when you have you know great movies and you're like oh that was a great story what you really mean is those were great characters that were doing stuff
1: right Right. You
0: know, and and the reason why the MCU has done so much better than like DC has ever even contemplated doing is because they've spent the time they have really worked with these characters and the actors have taken it seriously and really spent a lot of time becoming these characters. And that is the whole deal. Like the part of that is making those bold decisions to expand the characters, and and by by expanding the characters or changing the characters or making a refinement of the characters, a distilling of the characters, if you will, to bring it back to the whole bourbon thing. Right, um, right. Because I just have to. That changes the story. It changes the universe. It changes the entire thing, whether it's a movie or a series. Um, for instance, the idea of taking... Um, like the Ghostbusters and changing like hey we're going to change all the all the characters to women. Okay. I mean I'm not opposed to that on on a gut level when you tell me that. Right, However, if right. all you're going to do is say we're just going to change the characters to female and they're going to be kind of the same characters but just women. Right. Right. Well, I kind of saw that movie. Like I mean that that's not a I don't know, but if you say like Battlestar Galactica, hey, we're going to take some of these characters and we're going to change them to women, mostly because the original series was mostly dudes, right? I mean, all of the main characters were guys, so we're going to change some of the main characters to women, and and change up how this works. I mean, that, and that's not the only change they made. But then I'm like, okay. Let's see where this goes. And it changed the entire texture of the universe instead of just like, hey, we're just making this change to kind of make it different. Right. You and, know what
1: I mean? And, and if you remember, w- I,
0: it, I wasn't opposed to like, like again, because that was a whole other conversation that happened with the orig- with Ghostbusters versus Ghostbusters and all that stuff. But right. Right. I think it comes down to like, well, why are you doing it? Right. And are you doing it for creative reasons or are you doing it just because like, well, we need to make it different from the original. Yeah, no, no. know, and and I can't speak intelligently on that because I didn't actually see the rebooted Ghostbusters because I've been waiting to go like Mystery Science Theater on that with a couple friends and we haven't managed to get uh, a date together.
1: Yeah, <laughs> yeah, no, I, I mean I, I had seen it, and you know I it's it's hard to I, I I feel bad dumping on it in a way because I think they were they were trying to do the things we talked about. You know, the, it was an attempt to do something creative with with a franchise that just had a lot of history. I, I don't know if it was just the bar, again, was set too high, I, if the original story was just
0: so well, that's, kind of in that, the moment. That, that, that original movie had so much... I think that's a combination of things. And I think the whole idea of, like, oh, they changed it from dudes to, to girls took the brunt of it. when the mo- When it was like, no, that was such a... Like, that movie is on such a pedestal because... Well, I mean, and, and that original Bill movie Murray, found, I mean, uh, go ahead. No, well, you have like Bill Murray, you have Dan Aykroyd, you have uh, Harold Ramis, you have uh, um, was was it Zemeckis that direct, direct, directed that movie?
1: No, it wasn't Zemeckis. It was, um, oh, gosh, I can't think of his name now.
0: Dang it. I'm going to have to look it up because um, his, his
1: son is actually directing the new one they're doing now. I can't, oh, I can't think of his name, though.
0: Oh, son of a mother. Yes. Uh.
1: Ramos, uh, no, uh, no, Ivan Reitman. I, Ivan Reitman, that's right. Yeah, his his son is actually directing it, I believe.
0: But you had so much, like those. I mean, just Murray and Aykroyd alone from their their SNL days, and then you have um, you have Hailed Ramus, who you know, just you have all of those characters in there. It just got built up because it was right. one of those things where you like you kind of remember when you first saw that movie, like it. It was such a thing, right? But but if if you remember the first one and redo it, it's 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 like that. It's like that. There's a shelf life, but then there's also this real unrealistic expectations, right? But and then there's like ten other factors too.
1: But when you think about the story, like with the original, they just somehow found a balance to just the how do I put it the the story in and of itself is somewhat ludicrous. You know what I mean? Like like anything that is science fiction, right? But they found a balance with the original one to tell it in a way that was just funny and, and it just kind of flowed. And when I watched the reboot, they it, it just felt way overdone. You know, like it was just – it, of course, was going to end up in some sort of standoff with, with some kind of supernatural being that's taking over the world and so on and so forth. But it was just done and it just felt too much and it just felt – well, it, it, can't, it just it didn't have an organic,
0: areas. it didn't have an organic flow to it. You know what I mean? It felt forced in some ways. Well, we had, it, it felt like the, and this is a whole other podcast, but it felt like the whole sequel thing. Like the only way to make a sequel is to go, Oh, we're going to do the same thing, but bigger and right, better. Right. And that's what this felt like. Like, Hey, we're going to, we're going to make these changes, which again, I, I, whatever, show me something new. No, we're just going to do the same thing, but kind of bigger and better. Yeah. Um, And with Battlestar,
1: when they did Starbuck, when when they did Starbuck um, as a female, it was mentioned, but it wasn't like it was the selling point of the show. It it was an aspect of the show that they were going to explore um, Mm -hmm. by taking this iconic character from the original and just giving it a different take. And they did it brilliantly. I mean, you had Starbuck as this, you know, amazing pilot who was flawed. And again, when we talk about what makes them good is is the fact that they have the character development that's going on and she undergoes this amazing arc um, over the course of the series that I feel serviced her character pretty well. It, it kind of went in kind of an odd direction and I won't say how um,
0: since we're trying to be spoiler free but um, Well that one's been off the air for a little bit but then again, yeah, I, if anybody hasn't seen that, I would Man I it's one of those deals where I almost wish I had the MIB, like, flashy thing so I could go back and watch that all <laughs> and know how it goes. Right, right, right. Because I – and actually, the funny thing is I did – did we even mention this? I think we might have, but I forget because bourbon. Um, but I got to watch that with my wife. Yep. And I, had con- I tried to get her to watch it. I'm like, you got to watch, you got to watch. And she bought me the ones on DVD because we didn't have cable, so I would have to go through, like – thank God they released it half seasons – because otherwise I would have like lost my mind But they would release like half a season And I'd, she would get it for me And it would come to be Saturday And I'd have the day off And I'm like okay She's like well here's your, here you go I got it for you I'm like okay cool Just give me all of Saturday She's like seriously? I'm like yes And I would just sit And I would watch the entire half season in a, in, Just in one sitting like barely getting up to pee or get up to eat or anything. Yeah. <laughs> and and I would just inhale it and she's like I don't get it. And so I convinced her finally to watch it and I had it all on um I had no, I had it all in DVD cuz again she bought it for me and we and she got hooked on it. She got hooked in a big bad way and watching her experience it for the first time was the closest I'll ever get to that because she got to that point where it would be 11:30 P.M. We both have to be up to work in the morning. She's like, "One more episode, come on! I, I got to find out what happens next." Yeah, <laughs> like that desperate, like almost like toothpicks holding her eyes open. <laughs> and I'm like, "That's what it's like." Yes, right. That's right. That, that's exactly how I felt when I was watching it. You know?
1: Right. Exactly. Exactly.
0: And but I think I think that that was an example of of what makes a reboot good is that they made bold choices that could have torpedoed the whole thing. They I mean those those choices they because there was a lot of Battlestar Galactica fans who were pissed. Yeah. Granted, I mean it's not like there's millions of them out there, you know, before this. I mean there it was a small number, but they were you wanted to get them bought in. Right. And and, and there was a lot of them that were pissed about this about the idea of changing anything.
1: Right well you know? and and you know so starbuck was one change the other change as we had alluded to earlier was the fact that um the the antagonists the cylons were, were no longer just a group of robots being led by some evil mastermind it was basically these humanoid um and as we would later find out a group of them um but these humanoid uh versions of cylons where it was very easy for them to infiltrate the civilization um to bring about and and again it played on the culture of the time um i, I mean to say culture is not the right word but the the events of the time um post 9-11 yeah. with this where you know sleeper cells was was a common phrase we heard in the news and so to have this idea of the sleeper cells you know getting uh basically activating and you know in the pilot and causing all this chaos and and essentially the the you know the, the downfall of the civilization it was done in a very horrific way and and it was done in a very you know it was, it was very engaging how they did it it wasn't just you know um destruction for the sake of destruction it, it, it was done in a way to serve the story and then in the next you know episodes that followed that it just built on that idea and and in those episodes and through much of the series they they paid a lot of attention to and and to their credit and I think this is why it, it led to it being such a good series. But they paid so much attention to the minutia and the detail of what it would be like to be in space like that. Um, you know, paying attention to limitations on resources, paying attention mm-hmm. to the effects of, you know, like like they, they got so um, into detail on on the space battles in terms of, of how, I mean, not gravity, but just how physics works on these um, spaceships, um, based oh, on how totally. they would fly
0: them. I mean, it was something you had really never seen done before, not even in Star Wars. They did that in the opening episode, where they were like, "Well, why would why?" And, and that and that goes back again to like, it, 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 you like when we're talking about TV about how we've become more sophisticated, and now we expect more. Like, well, when George Lucas made the original Star Wars, there was no expectation because you were used to seeing spaceships where you're like, I can see the strings.
1: Right, right.
0: You know, and they went in a straight line across the screen and that was it. And he was like, no, they should move like fighters in World War Two. Here's gun camera film. And they basically like for the whole, you know, the battle battle star (laughs) death star scene at the end. They're like patterning the the TIE fighter X wing dog fights on old gun camera world war two fam- uh, film no
1: good, right. stay on target we're too close stay on target and
0: at the time you're like oh my god this is revolutionary because you'd never seen it in a sci-fi movie now we've seen that for all these years and you have someone come along and go well listen up that's not how space works you can move in any direction you can move backwards you can move this way you can move that way there's no gravity there's no air resistance right. there's no this and that so why wouldn't the the fighters just kinda go like this and they did that in the in the first epic like the miniseries when they have the opening battle where the vipers are going against the Cylons and all of a sudden they do that split Loosen up! And you see them all just kinda fly apart Loosen up! quickly in in random directions and 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 then all of a sudden when they all go dead, they're just kind of floating into each other. When you're like, "Right, yeah, there's no physics involved here except for like space physics. It's different. And that was the first moment where I'm like, oh, this is going to be real interesting.
1: Yeah. And, you know, as, as time went on, I think they found some, you know, some kind of quote unquote easy answers for some of the resource limitations. But they got into things about limitations on food, limitations on water. Um, and, and those were things that served the story throughout the first couple seasons. And like I said, then they got to a point, I think it was sometime in season three when they when they uh, escaped um, New Caprica that um, they had found like, I don't know, it, it was like some algae that was like protein based or something. But they found like so much of it, it just be, it, it then made food like not a problem for them. You know, and it and, well, and it kind of went away for a period of you know time. It it turned out to not be like a focal point for them. Um, yeah,
0: there was a lot of things that they kind of made problems that they had they had to get rid of, and yeah. that's and that's episodic TV.
1: Yeah, because I mean, as a you viewer, know, I, I only want to see this problem so many times before I get bored with it. You know.
0: Yeah. It, the thing that 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 came to me was the third season was very claustrophobic because. Um, And this is just something because I've listened to all the... (laughs) Not only have I watched Battlestar Galactica at least twice through entirely um, just watched. I've also watched it at least once, probably twice through with all the commentary tracks on as well. Um, But the third season is when they really... They used up their effects budget early in that season. Yeah. Yeah. So towards the end of the season, they couldn't afford to have as many of the battles outside, and they also focused a lot more on political and also religious kind of overtones with Baltar and all that stuff. So there was a lot of – to me, that was kind of like that second half of the third season was like, oh, right. Right, and and before – kind of dragged – it was a little bit different, you know what I mean? Right, and
1: before you go too far down that road, I mean, that, that is the other thing that they did that – um, and, and that's – at that time in 05 in – um, you know, Lost was running at that time as well. And those were two shows that went pretty deep in terms of, you know, just just the religious sort of tone of things. And, and mm. you know, Battlestar was doing all of it. It was it was doing the survivability aspect of the situation. It was doing the political landscape of it. I mean, if you could even say that, given the situation, but it, it made sense. Um, well, it
0: was very political. Oh, absolutely. I mean, it, it was tremendously it really political. It, and and in a way it kind of and and I don't again, the last thing I want this podcast to become is political, but it did kind of precursor this this point in time, I think, where we are, especially in the United States, where you kind of realize that everything can be political. Right. Right. Depending on your perspective. And let's just leave it at that. Yep. But, yep. It 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 kind of illustrated that point of everything can be political. Right. And and I think um, I think and I think that and led, then the, and, led to the depth of the story. Just, well and then the other thing, the the kind of the weird thing of having that polytheistic of the colonists versus the monotheistic of the Cylons. Right. And making because if you are um, especially, I mean, this is a, let's face it: like this show was made in the well, it was, it was filmed in Canada, but I mean, it's a it's a U.S. you know TV show,
1: right? Right.
0: Where the bulk of the United States identifies with a monotheistic point of view. Yep. In terms of if you take all the religions, and having the antagonists, the bad guys, are the ones with that view right right. and the good guys are the one with a polytheistic view mm-hmm. and then having the 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 two kind of cross over and start questioning each other was was like wow well that's that, a bold choice right to, and, to to start playing to start dipping into that pond that's a bold choice right there
1: right and, and and that's what I mean about like like the levels of texture that exist within that that uh that series and and the way the story is told there's just so much going on. I mean, as you were talking, you're, you know, it reminded me too of of the tension that continued for the first three seasons. I think around the military and the government. You know, the 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 push pull that happened with Adama and and Rosalind, the president. Oh and, yeah. And and who's really in charge, and you know who's calling the shots, and all this sort of thing. And it yep. was it was just really well done that they they paid service to that kind of stuff because that leads to. Uh, a story that gets told that's more than just, you know, I'm floating around in space fighting these bad robots and let's go fly around and blow them up. I mean, it, it, yeah. it, it led to it being a lot deeper than than I think what the original series was. And so it, it worked in that sense, um, you know, uh, from from a reboot standpoint where it, it wasn't while it was using the same characters and the same concept, it laid them out in a very, very different way. Um, and I think because it did that, it, it lended itself to then being a fresher story and a, and a more deep story.
0: Well, and that whole idea of, you know, they I believe Ron Moore called it a, a reimagining and that it, it does kind of fit because it's in this weird space because they managed to take the idea of um, you could almost piece the original Battlestar Galactica into the original Cylon War, which was part of the mythology of the new Battlestar Galactica. of Adama of had served in the the first Cylon War. And this is now the second Cylon War, I guess you could say. And that pe- that era of peace in between them. It, it makes it a little bit weird. Because you're like, okay, here's some of the characters. But we're kind of already saying that something happened beforehand. So we're alluding to something. But are we... So they really ripped it apart and, and kind of put it back together. So it's, it's a remake in again it's kind of that idea of like every reboot is somewhat of a remake but not really like they really did continue the story and they and they managed to somehow use the prior series as informational to that
1: yeah and and, and,
0: oh yeah you remember those old centurions that's what they used to look like right right and you know um, that was brilliant how they did that and and when you talk about bold
1: choices i mean i you know there was um an interview I listened to with uh, Patton Oswalt, the the comedian who who is a big Battlestar Galactica fan, and he, mm. I love the term he used because from the end of season two into season three, he he said he's never seen a science fiction show completely change its state of grace the way that they did. Like they went from being yeah. this, we're we're you know we're floating around in a spaceship trying to find where we're going to live and you know kind of grow the human race again, to we found a place. And at the end of season two, you have the Cylons, you know, there's a period of time where they've settled, they're at rest. They've gotten, you know, I, I think before we started the show, you used the term fat and sloppy, you know, I mean, yeah. uh, you know, Adama and well, his son. Well, literally
0: in the case of uh, of Apollo. Oh I mean, yeah.
1: Yeah. Apollo was just, you know, out of shape. It, it was, it was really well done in the sense that they, it's like they found something and now we're looking at them after a period of time of just rest and, and then you have the Cylons come in, and it, it goes from being this paradise to being this prison camp by the end of season two. And then mm. season three starts, and now they're back to being this these these rebels or like a resistance group trying to free themselves because now yeah they're they're basically stuck, you know. And and the remainder of the fleet is somewhere else, and they're trying to sort out what what you know what's going to happen.
0: Which is kind of funny because you could almost almost because we're talking about this and and because we're thinking along these lines you could almost pitch that as a soft reboot yeah of the series like two i mean it's four series, it's four years four seasons long
1: right right
0: and two seasons in you're like you know what we've gotten to this point let's spin it a little yeah i mean that is again that's another Bold choice. And,
1: and I don't know if that was the planned part of the story. I, I, I feel like it – I think it was, if I remember right. I don't think this was something that was done as a ratings maneuver. I think they they were just taking the story in a very different direction. And, well, and, and this is something that differs from the original And that I, I think when you stay with one form factor and you don't seek to always kind of evolve yourself from what originally made you great – um, you will inevitably end up in, in a state where you start to stagnate and yeah. and this was a fresh move to kind of get them into a different place where fans are like oh gosh how how is the story now going to develop because it's we're, we're we're no longer in a space chase sort of mode we're in a prison camp mode
0: yeah although i would excuse me i would say that the one caveat I would have as someone who's listened to all the because uh, Ron Moore actually did these as podcasts uh, which kind of ties back right to this thing Free Range Odyssey um, so I don't know why I did that that was so lame maybe I should edit that or maybe I shouldn't anyways um, <laughs> he, he originally would do the commentary tracks as podcasts so you could then link them up you know or sync them up and, and watch them and listen to them at the same time uh, and One of the things that I was really taken by, especially as a writer, um, and I don't pretend to be any kind of writer of merit, you know, on the same level as the people who wrote this, wrote these series and things like that. But one thing I appreciate as a writer is that they would have moments where they're like, oh, this is going in a direction. Let's try this. It's not what we planned. We didn't even think that this would happen. Like um, the character of Hilo. Yeah. He was supposed to be dead and gone, like right. miniseries, He gone. He dead. Right. He's gone. And they're like, no, you know what? We kind of like this idea. Let's let's see what would happen with Hilo on Occupied Caprica. Yeah. Caprica. Yep. And and that kind of continued, and his part grew and grew and grew out of that, and he became part of like the overall plan. But that was one of those things that I, I like that idea that in this show they were open to the idea of. A little bit of improvisation to their overall plan, right, right? But they had they had an idea. They're like, okay, we're trying to get here, but they were very open to, well, what about this? You know. So that's one of those things where I totally understand what you're saying. Yeah, and I'm not discounting it at all. Yeah, because again, it is your birthday? <laughs> it's your birthday. It's your birthday. Um, almost, but uh, yeah, I, I I also want to temper it with that where I think. They were that show, more than most others that I know of, again, I could be wrong, seemed to be very open to taking advantage of those opportunities as they came up.
1: Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And you know, I, I didn't realize this until I rewatched um, you know, Star Trek The Next Generation on, on Netflix. But I you know, Ronald Ronald Moore, who led the Battlestar, you know, crew mm-hmm. there, um, when that when next generation started getting good was when he and a couple of writers um, were based. I think they gutted their prior writing team after season two because the first two seasons of that show were just, you know, not good. I mean, there's there's well, there's there's elements that are okay, but when you yeah. when you get into season three, all of a sudden it's more character based storytelling, and yes, and, and it's, that is
0: one thing Ron Moore is all about. Absolutely, yeah. and
1: so you already write there see a major difference in how the 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 tone and the flow of the episodes go um and then you have that amazing storyline with with the Borg that comes up and and just how all Mm -hmm. that plays out and and so it just you, you know to to see like like I agree with you I think from that experience he clearly brought some of that into Battlestar and and basically you know evolving and pivoting when it made sense to and when you saw those opportunities come up to kind of pursue a path and see where it takes you now later Mm -hmm. on in the series i think they continue to do that and i think in some ways you start to see towards the end of the series that i mean i i I totally understand the fan opinion of they were getting lost kind of toward the end a little bit you know that that it felt like the series was kind of dragging a little and so they they finally had to bring it to a conclusion but
0: well can I let's 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 actually table this discussion actually that, that's a good point because we're gonna go too far into Battlestar I think we already have yeah. but it's okay because you know what I love me some Battlestar I, again I've said it before I'll say it again for for an awful long time until something else bumps it out of the top whatever is one of the best things I've ever seen on television but we could do multiple episodes and we may do multiple episodes (laughs) on Battlestar we may have to (laughs) because this could turn into the first like six hour podcast and my bladder just cannot handle it.
1: Yeah I know I know we gotta keep moving here so.
0: So another deal with reboots that we have to talk about of course is uh, we're not going to talk about the DCU the the DCU movie universe actually I think it was DCMU Mu. (laughs) <laughs> how you want to pronounce it? Because they, DC had to have the worst approach to doing this. Like, hey, we have a we have a, a TV universe, and then we have a movie universe, and yeah. and the two of them don't tie over together at all. So, before that, though, they had the Nolan verse, which was much better than either of those.
1: Yeah. Oh, absolutely.
0: <laughs> so it was like, hey, we had three of the greatest critically accra- critically acclaimed comic book movies, highest grossing, made tons of money. Let's disregard those completely. Some men just want to watch the world burn. Uh, so, Batman. Batman Begins, Dark Knight, Dark Knight Rises. Yep. Yeah. That- uh, can you think of another? Th- uh, I mean, and, and as many issues as Dark Knight Rises has, which I'm willing to debate. Can you think of another run of three movies, comic book movies, by one director? that were that good on so many levels
1: uh no i I, okay. I i think i think a lot of people would agree that what christopher nolan did with batman was was like lightning in a bottle sort of thing i mean he he took he took a franchise and this is a case where it's it was a reboot of a franchise that hadn't really been done since i think i think the last batman uh film that had been done was in 94 and 95 i think um, let me double check that while you're talking. So, I think it was almost I think it was almost 10 years from the from the last one, which I think was George Clooney as Batman. Um, and Chris O'Donnell, I think, as Robin. I think it was Batman uh, and Robin was the last one they did.
0: Batman and Robin was 1997. That was 97. Begins wow. was 2005. So you have 8 years. All right, so we had 8 years, almost, almost 10. Which granted as bad as batman and robin was it, it pretty much felt like dog years yeah it felt it felt like a lot more it it really did and and
1: i remember watching the trailer for batman begins and thinking what the heck are they thinking why are they doing this it's just kind of like I mean, eh. honestly
0: was there a good batman movie after 1989 Michael Keaton, Jack Nicholson, Batman. I n- not really. I mean, I mean, Batman Returns. I mean, you have Michelle Pfeiffer and 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 you know.
1: That was a bit of a letdown, and then you had. Um,
0: then what? you had Batman Forever.
1: Right, which I think was the one with Two Face and the Joker, and I think that yes. that just that just kind of did well based on just having this like star-studded cast. I mean, you had Tommy Lee Jones and Jim Carrey and.
0: And you had Mister Freeze, right? Was that, was that was that Batman and Robin? No, that's Batman and Robin. That followed after. Okay, then okay. So, yeah, even that 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 one was heading towards a an an area we I don't think any of us were comfortable with. No,
1: <laughs> and and just it just got more campy over time. I mean, I think the key. Keaton- so let's
0: the Keaton I mean, let's just even say like uh, so Batman Returns was 1992 yes. let's just say 1992 to 2005 because <laughs> let's <laughs> just pretend let's just pretend those other movies didn't exist shall we like right. Rocky 5 can we all just pretend that didn't happen sure let's just pretend that didn't happen sure
1: I'm, I'm, I'm very open to entertaining that option good
0: M- MIB flashy thing yes and yes. which we can all do with the new MIB movie as well <laughs> which is another reboot which yes yes can you? T- the, I uh, can we just sidetrack for just one moment? I know. I, I know mean, we've already time. done it a f-
1: hundred different times, but yes, let's let's sidetrack. Go for it.
0: Uh, Chris Hemsworth and Tessa Thompson, two people who had so much chemistry in Thor Ragnarok, and and I mean, good lord, you put them in a movie together, and it just I, I even as I'm watching the the trailer, I'm like, this is gonna suck. Yeah, yeah, I like both of these actors, and I am not going to see this movie in the theater. Right, like it's not even a contest. Yeah, um, which is kind of a, uh, it's a soft reboot. Yeah, in that, you know, hey, Tommy Lee Jones and Will Smith ain't in this one, but hey, come on and see it anyways. No, right, and um, it's
1: just kind of a concept that I mean, maybe it's big with the kids. I, I'm just kind of past the whole thing with Men in Black. It just doesn't really do well, anything Well, I for
0: think ring- it's it you take away the characters or the actors let's let's say that the uh, the actors who make the characters because in that in some cases i think it's the other way like the characters are the ones the characters right. as written on the page and then the actors are like yes i will i will embody this character i think in the case of those those characters the actors brought so much to it mm mm-hmm. mhm Will Smith and Tommy Lee Jones brought so much to those roles. I don't want to see another Men in Black movie without them. I don't care if Tommy Lee Jones is 85 and they've got him in, like, the Captain Pike wheelchair. (laughs) And he's just, it's like one light for yes, two lights for no. I don't care. Right right on. Cool. There's Tommy. You know? Like, I don't care. I don't want to see anyone else in those roles. Much like... Robin Williams and the genie. Maybe I'm just set in my ways. That could be it.
1: Well, I I, I think like we were talking about earlier, I think that story just has a shelf life to it. I I, I don't. Maybe there's a marketing person who feels differently, but
0: well, I don't know if it's a shelf life. I really feel that's the that's the actors and the characters like you identify that franchise, those movies with those two actors and with those two characters. Right. And and once
1: and once you see the first one, then you see this one and now it's Tessa Thompson's character doing what Will Smith's character did, you know, and it's just like we, we've kind of that. been there. Like, she
0: just seems tremendously. un. Oh, no, I'm sorry. Uh, Chris Hemsworth is the one who seems tremendously unlikable. Oh, like, not but not unlikable in a in a Tommy Lee Jones, like gruff. Yeah. Grizzled veteran sort of way. Just in a like, hey, I'm a D bag. Yeah. Sweet. I guess. <laughs> Like, is that supposed to make you... like? Where are we now? I'm lost. Right. (laughs) You know, in the Venn diagram, I am completely lost. Yeah. Um, But anyway, so I totally got off topic there. Um, So anyway, Batman. Batman Begins, which even though they did go through the whole, hey, let's kill Bruce Wayne's parents one more time just in case you didn't know, that flick managed to really turn the whole Batman story around for me. Mm -hmm. I actually felt like I had an investment in that for the first time since seeing the Michael Keaton Batman. Right. Right. Which is saying a lot because I mean when that Batman came out granted the only Batman we'd really seen in popular culture before that was Adam West who was notable only for the first superhero to have an unabashed beer belly. (laughs) That wasn't where I thought I mean, you were going, but all right. <laughs> I mean, in in an era now where you have like these actors who are, and God bless them for it. Oh my gosh, Chris Evans going in like training for like three years to be Captain America, and yeah. like they have to shoot all like their okay. When are the when are the scenes when we're going to see so and so's muscles? And they shoot those first because once you're in filming, you can't maintain that same like you can't train for ten hours a day. Right, right. You got to be on set. You know, like and uh, the same reason why like Hugh Jackman is like, hey, I'm tired of playing Wolverine because I don't want to like eat nothing but chicken and salad for 14 months leading up to the movie. Um, but like Chris Evans, like goes and trains so that he legit looks like Captain America. It's not a suit with like the muscles sewn in. Right. Like that. Right. Like Adam West was the Batman who's like, uh, I'm the original dad bod. I have a belly. There's no (laughs) pretending. It's just Lycra and Adam West. That's all you get, folks. Right, right. Um, So you have Adam West in the Batman TV series and then the Batman movie, which gave us bat shark repellent. God bless it for that. Then you get Michael Keaton as Batman. I'm Batman.
1: Yeah, and and I think what, what did a lot of service to that story was the fact that he grounded it in the characters. He grounded it in... You know, it, it was the first superhero movie I remember seeing where it was just so grounded in reality in terms of how you could make this happen. You know, like if, if you really had unlimited yeah. resources the way that Bruce, you know, the character Bruce Wayne would uh, or did have, here is how one would go about putting together, you know, this. And, and it was great. It was kind of like Iron Man in a way. It was like, you know, here's the makeshift shoot, suit to start with. Here's, you know, a way to do the Batarang and all this other stuff. And you know, just all the different implements he had and how it all kind of came together into what became, you know, his his suit for fighting crime and so forth. Um, it, it was nice that it wasn't all hinged on just his, his parents' death. I mean, that was a part of the story. It was also, you know, the, like that told the story up to a point, but it was, you know, it wasn't until he has that back and forth with the gangster who you end up finding out is you know, behind getting the guy who shot his parents off and all this sort of stuff that Mm -hmm. he begins to realize that he needs to do something different because he goes in and tries to threaten them. And the guy kind of tells him, he's like, you know, you've got nothing, kid. You're, you know, you're, you're nothing to me sort of thing. And, and he realizes how, how ridiculous it all is. And so he goes off and he tries to understand what it means to be a criminal. He tries to get into the head of what being a criminal entails and how that works. And, so now you start to see that in order for him to be the hero, he now has to go and live the life of a criminal, and and then he you know goes through the um, the League of Shadows and all of that, and so it it all kind of builds up to this point, and then when he comes back, you know he's almost like exiled for like seven years, I think, in the story, and when he comes back, he tells, um, you know, he tells Alfred about how, and this is really the crux of what I think all three stories kind of sit on is the fact that he has to create the symbol, because any sort of person can be taken out and killed and so forth, but a symbol cannot be destroyed. And so that that's really where it starts in Batman begins and where it actually ends in the dark Knight rises. Um, because you know, that's the story that Nolan was trying to tell, but the way he grounded it in reality and the way he grounded the characters where, um, You know, he starts out in the first one fighting this gangster. And then the brilliance of the second one is it's not just doing the Joker for the sake of doing the Joker, like we talked about with reboots that don't work. He's Mm -hmm. doing the Joker telling a very, you know, clear story about there are just some people in the world that just want chaos with respect master wayne perhaps this is a man you don't fully understand either you know and yeah. and, and they're they they don't really and how have, do you cope with that right and how and and it became and it was the first time you're watching a movie like especially when batman confronts the joker in that in the police interview room and he's beating on him and in you know and the joker's just saying you've got nothing you've got this code of rules that you live by and you're going to abide by them and yeah. it's the first time you see batman in his suit doing what he does and you realize how powerless he is you know and and so again nolan brings a brilliance into the storyline where you never saw that before it's it's so different from these other movies where it was all cartoon based and it was all very over the top it was it's very much grounded in this idea of you know just the these characters and how um you know how a character like the joker can so render him just powerless by just not caring you know
0: well, and that goes to Batman versus Superman. or I'm sorry, Batman v. Superman. They have these weird kind of dream sequences where Batman is killing people. Where it's like, that's the one rule that Batman has is he doesn't kill people. You know, like that's the thing. Right, right. And, and yet you're showing it, but it's not him, but it is him, but it's it's like, okay, I get what you're trying to do, but you're not doing any kind of good job explaining it. Whereas in that scene, Christopher Nolan does do such an amazing job. And, and, and I mean, don't even forget, like, Heath Ledger and his part in that, ex- like, kind of explaining that, like, I've got absolutely nothing to lose. Yeah. You can't really beat me you could kill me right now and you wouldn't beat me yeah and like you say showing how powerless batman is in that moment because he does he has that rule he is not going to violate
1: well and, and and the fact that the joker character was just done in such a different way i mean is both a testament to what nolan wrote no, and, and a testament to the way Ledger played it. I mean, we talked about how with Aladdin, there was just a bar that was set too high that is just not going to be attainable anymore.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You, the, the the same could be argued about the Joker. I mean, when Jack Nicholson did the Joker, that was a groundbreaking sort of take on that character. And, well, yeah. and for, for now Ledger to come in, I remember there was a lot of... I remember reading a lot of articles talking about how it all hinges on how Ledger plays this character and how good can this really be cuz Nich- Nicholson just defined that character and he made it his
0: own and and so now, let's all be realistic we're also comparing this to Cesar Romero who <laughs> Well, he did not want to shave his mustache, so it made them put the makeup over his mustache. And if you pause it, you can see the mustache under the white make Joker makeup. Oh, good lord! Because the the mustache for him was so iconic, he didn't want to shave it. Right. So let's just say Nicholson. I mean, we he didn't have that high of a bar to clear. Like Cesar Romero, no, but great Joker. But he for, for the for, for the era and the series that he was. In but let's not let's not you know project this as like the world record high jump. It's it was more like okay you got to jump over this like uh, two milk crates. No,
1: but but I would compare. Go ahead
0: and try and jump over two milk crates. It is tough, but it's not undoable.
1: Right. No, but but I I would compare what Nicholson did with it to what Williams did with with the character of the genie in Aladdin. Where oh no, Nicholson. The thing
0: is. The thing is that, that, that that's apples and oranges. I'm sorry, that is. I'll, I will. I, I I know I said I'd give you the tie as your birthday present. I can't. I can't go with you on this one. I'm sorry.
1: Well, okay. Because it was. It's, but but, it's but nonetheless, concept
0: like Williams defined that character as opposed to like Nicholson took that character and then elevated it. But
1: but does that make sense? Yes and no. Because
0: nowhere do I remember Ooh. reading about
1: Caesar Romano in in any of the Romano, art, whatever his name is.
0: <laughs> I don't Romero, care. Sir.
1: No, I, I. All I'm saying is that Nicholson <laughs> owned the character, and Didn't that fluster. Ledger had a bar to exceed with he it. He did. Yes, and he did. that film could have tanked if Ledger hadn't done what he did. Because totally. Er- everyone, was, everyone was waiting to see how he was going to bring a different angle to that character. And if he didn't well, totally. and if he didn't, and if he did it the same way that Nicholson did or did it in a tone that just didn't resonate, that movie would have been not as highly regarded as it is now. Um oh, and, and a lot of and that absolutely a lot of that goes absolutely. credit to Nolan for the way he directed it and to Ledger for the way he played it. Um
0: yes. and and you're 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 totally right there. I I just want to make sure there's your there's a, your birthday present. You're totally right. Thank yeah. you. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. You're right. And that's how I've managed to stay married for 14 years now. <laughs> <laughs> but but you're no you're right cuz it is it is Nolan crafting the whole overall vision cuz you you do have to give that to the director because and especially in someone not necessarily Every director, but especially with someone like Nolan, who had enough credit at that point to say, this is what I want to do. And for people at the studio, go, yes, yes, Mr. Nolan. Yes, we will. Yes. Uh-huh, yeah. and, and can we get you like whatever you want on this planet right now? Right now for you, because you are Christopher Nolan. He had that kind of clout. So, I mean, it, it, he had a lot of control over those movies. So a lot of credit goes to him. A lot of credit goes to, to Heath Ledger because he really did go so far in, in refining that character and finding that character and, and making it different than Jack Nicholson. Um, and I think the funny thing is, as we, were, as we we're talking about this episode right before, you were talking about how um, <laughs> the nuance of the, of the original Batman movie, and I was like, how funny is it that we now think of nuance, you know, like we would have thought back then, like, oh, what a nuanced performance Jack Nicholson gave <laughs> dancing around spray painting paintings in the Gotham yeah. Museum of Fine Art to Prince's Party Man. Yes. As and then and then getting like the cane up and like when Bob was going to slash like uh, what was it? Boy Blue or something like that, like the painting. He's like, Bob, I like this one. Leave it. You know, like that sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. Like, that's nuance? Like, well, it was 90s nuance. Okay, it was like the late 80s nuance. Like, yeah. that's what we had. We had that in Zubaz pants, all right? Right. That's all we had. Um, but no, I think I think that's an excellent... It is probably the Cadillac of reboots mm-hmm. in terms of comic book movies. And I would even say in terms of all comic, all movie reboots, I, I think the Nolan Batman movies are, well, are and, the bar. And,
1: and I think in the third movie, I think he was brilliant to do it as a deconstructing of Batman down into Bruce Wayne again, and then a rebuilding mm-hmm. of it back up. And, and you know, so in, in that sense, I think to, to, you know, to have done the reboot the way they did and, and carry it across the three stories the way that they did and have it tell a very focused story, I think is one of the reasons why it, it kind of stands as an example of how you, you would properly go about rebooting something that you, you find something that is relatable, you find something in the character that, that audiences can engage with. Um, and and you try to bring the story into more of a realm. Now it, it could just be in the two thousands. That's just where our heads were at. In the same way we talked about with Knight Rider in the eighties, how there was this apparent you know uh, excitement that everyone found in cars jumping off of things. You know, it's um, for whatever reason we wanted you know. Let's be honest. Dark I find stories. Using now.
0: <laughs> but but
1: but you know, for some reason, that's when to me that's when the dark you know, kind of the more grittier and and more. Kind of sullen stories started being told about superheroes was was starting with with batman and kind of you know the the more real kind of approach to it and i think you know i think that's where the marvel movies kind of picked up that baton and kind of carried it you know i mean iron man was a very grounded you know a very grounded movie in in what you you know how a, a you know much like bruce wayne how tony Stark could build what he built and become iron man you know um so so, yeah, so I, I just think it kind of boils down to character. Uh, I, I think it boils down to stories that are focused on character depth and, 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 you know, just kind of the layers that you can create, you know, with the interactions between them.
0: So can I can I submit this idea? And maybe this is another podcast. We've, we've already planned out now at least five or six other episodes based on just stuff that we want to talk about from this. But this might be an interesting one. So you had in the original Batman, um, crud, I don't have it here right now. Hang on a second. The original Batman. So I, I have this weird theory, um, that you might be able to follow a thread through um the, the under characters, or one or two of the under characters of these movies to discover why uh not no not why but to really find out what the differences are and to to see the successes and the failures mm-hmm. um so the original uh batman michael Keaton batman let's go with that cuz i didn't want to go back as far as the campy 60s 70s batman so the original 1989 batman michael goff go g o u g h Played Alfred the butler. Okay. Which is kind of like the common character uh, aside from really Commissioner Gordon who I'd argue is not necessarily a consistent character just because of the way that they portrayed him in the Nolan verse and then I don't really remember him in Batman v Superman at all. Do you, do you remember Commissioner Gordon or, or Gordon at all being in part of those and I think he was in Justice League cuz they had the bat signal thing and then the flash was like oh yeah I, I everyone else disappeared and he was there I mean
1: I, I haven't I haven't really seen any of the DC movies so I don't know where his presence is in those I, I do know he was more of a side character in the original Batman series uh, sorry not okay. not not the Adam West one I meant but the the original movies with Keaton
0: Yeah um, so Michael Michael go Michael Goff I, I could be mangling that but anyways very proper British gentleman played Alfred in I believe most of the original Batman movies uh, going from Keaton to Kilmer to Clooney I think he was in most of those I think he was the one kind of constant through those and then in the Nolan verse we got of course we got Michael Kane. Um, yes that was my Michael Caine impersonation thank you that
1: was very nice
0: no it wasn't it was horrible just as all Michael Caine impersonations <laughs> are which Michael Caine is, is very apt at pointing out he's like he actually does an impersonation of Michael Caine impersonators which I'm like oh my god that's it <laughs> it's so wrong and, and the fact that he has the impersonation down to me is like that dude is in on the joke like he is he is the Keith Richards of acting. He understands the joke. He knows the punchline. He just ain't telling us. Um, so then Michael Caine is Alfred in the the verse, And then we get Jeremy Irons in the DCU or DCMU, oh, okay. whichever you want to freaking call it, which I like to refer to as tactical Alfred because all of a sudden now he has like the sweater with the patches on the shoulder and he can repair cars and he's like all up in all the business. He's the guy in the chair nice. and stuff. Um I think that Michael Caine's Alfred was the best of all of them because he kind of was the center point of it. He was the um kind of the anchor of the entire thing. Yes. In the story and he was the the truth teller, you know. Oh yeah, Hand, hands
1: down. I mean the the the, chara- yeah. the character was so well developed there and and yeah, he, he for a lot, I think for all three movies, he was really the heart of the movie, you know, in, in some ways, you know, he, mm. keeping keeping Wayne kind of grounded, you know, in some ways. And, you know, especially in the last movie where, where he, you know, he basically abandons oh, him because Lord. he's like, I can't I can't watch you do this to yourself, you know, sort of. Thing. Yeah. And, and, you know, that, that was I'll have a
0: dream i have a dream I have, I, yeah and I, I can't do it i won't do the i won't do the michael kane impersonation <laughs> thank Go you watch it thank you for sparing us um yeah, i appreciate it but but yeah
1: yeah so again i mean it just points to the idea that uh with with reboots that work it's you know they they dug deep into some um into some stories from the comics that I think worked well, um, you know, with with the, uh, across the three movies. With the Joker story being probably the most well known, um, mm-hmm. bringing Bane and, and you know so, and um,
0: you know the the daughter of Raza Gul. Morning into the dark. I, no, I'm was sorry, I was brilliant. <laughs> Thank you for that. I I need I need like a I need like a hollowed out like Dixie cup in order to make that work. Yeah,
1: yeah, basically. Um, so yeah, so I, I I just think because they they went the extra mile to kind of, rather than rehash the, what, what the prior Batman movies had done, they, they went back to the drawing board with you know, original content that hadn't been done before. They still took some notes and some beats from the originals and wove them in a different way. And then it was really a character-driven story. And I think that is one of the reasons why it was just so successful, is I just think it connected with people in, in a very real way
0: yeah I mean even in the even in the idea of Jim Gordon even in uh, oh my gosh uh, Selena Kyle Catwoman just bringing in those the layers of the character I think was and like you said sorry I'm hiccuping uh, really badly right now it's awesome Um, I think bringing the idea like you said and I never really thought about that which makes me really angry that you you Beat me to it, you son of a mother! Um, You're welcome. As so, some, as someone who's who's who likes to fancy himself like an amateur screenwriting, you know, analyst. No, he really did. He built up Batman and then he broke him down into his components and broke him down to Bruce Wayne. Like, what would Bruce Wayne be after being Batman for five, six years? Right. Well, he has no superpowers. Like, literally, like. The most like in Justice League, when Ben Affleck says, you know, well, or or, uh, who was it who's asked him, you know, well, what's your superpower? I'm rich. Yeah. Like that is his superpower. Like I can buy things. I can make a suit. I can do this. I can do that. But at the end of the day, he's a guy. Right. Well, his physical limitations are his physical limitations. Like like he can he can he has degenerative back issues he has this he has that he has this. I mean I thought that was awesome yeah I mean and and, uh, that's something I never really thought about in those terms until you mentioned it of of the idea of of building up this guy of 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 the the image of Batman and then breaking it back down into Bruce Wayne and then building it back up yeah and and that damn you piss me off sir
1: well, and and the, and and the fact from the second to the third movie like really nothing happens with with the Batman character at that point he's basically out of commission for the the gap of time I think it's like an eight-year gap from the end of well the dark Knight I don't think
0: it's to, to the dark I, I don't think it's necessarily completely out of commission like I think he's still doing stuff but I think it gets to a point where it really is kind of that grounding Aspect, And that is what is what I think we both love about Battlestar Galactica to to go back to our favorite little hobby horse and Mm -hmm. ride that for a little longer. You know, you it's not grittiness for the sake of grittiness. It's grounding like an apple is an apple in that in that universe. And so we can relate to it. So we we relate to like Battlestar Galactica in the sense of like, hey, we don't have enough water. Okay well, what would happen if I ran out of water? Right. Crap. What would I do? Not like, Oh, I need some sulfide, blah, 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 You know, like I need dilithium crystals. Like, Oh, that's funny. Ha <laughs> ha. Like, no, I need water. I will die in three days without water kind of thing. You know, like crap, that's a problem that I know I would have. Um, and just that idea of, of boiling it down to those, those issues. Right. You no, know, I think I that to me is like, oh, that's brilliant writing. That's brilliant directing. That's brilliant acting of, of of bringing it down to that point and saying, oh, how do we make this relatable to people?
1: Yep. Yeah. And yeah. And in in that third movie where where um where uh, Wayne is like you said he's physically you know he he has to kind of come back physically to some degree. But he you know but in the story you know he loses his wealth he loses um it's some of the best storytelling with superheroes sometimes is seeing them not always be triumphant and um yeah and and this was a great story where you know he was physically broken um he was basically dumped off to to watch you know uh his his city burn basically and um and just the way they went about doing it was just the story being told to kind of lead him to that point where he goes back to kind of his base principles from the very first movie about, um, you know, he thinks back to his father and, you know, why do we fall to, to get back up and walk again, you know, sort of thing. And um, yeah, it was, was just a, a really great way to kind of bring the whole story kind of full circle um, in terms of what, what what he was doing with that. And so I think, you know, from a from a reboot perspective, you know i think those films will stand as probably you know along with what marvel's done as some of you know some of the best you know comic book superhero storytelling that was done on film um with with having you know the characters and the the, the character depth that was explored and and the way they um you know brought it all kind of together at the end of the trilogy um the way they did it's just a shame dc had to go and goof it all up by trying to horn them into you know kind of the, the accelerated Justice League uh, move that they were obviously trying to make
0: yeah and and the funny thing is so looking back at it because I got confused on my timeline so uh, Batman Begins anyways so the one that really matters so Dark Knight is 2008 Yep. Dark Knight Rises is 2012 right um Iron Man is 2008. Mm -hmm. I can't imagine that Dark Knight Rises was not influenced by Iron Man. Because if you think about it, the whole idea of of, of Bruce Wayne getting out of like, you know, oh well, the person who jumped, jumped without a rope. Because that was their only choice. Like, they jumped with all they had because the if they didn't, that's it. You know, Tony Stark made this armor like, you only have a week and a half. Well, I guess this is the most important week of your life. Yeah, yeah. That whole idea informed, um, you know, the Dark Knight Rises, I would think. And the funny thing is, I think Batman Begins informs Iron Man. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I could see that.
1: I, I, I could very much see that.
0: Because Batman Begins, to me, and again, this is just to me, I think Batman Begins in Iron Man, man, I, can't, I don't know if I can pick a better origin story. No,
1: no, I, I think they were both. The, those, those are kind of the measuring stick. I think moving forward,
0: they're tied for t- for the number one for me. Yeah, I don't know if I could pick. A, I could. I mean, at gunpoint, I might pick one, but it would really depend on the day.
1: Yeah. And and there and, and there have been others that have redefined it as well. I mean, um, but 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 I think those two are the iconic ones. Um, you know, the way they did but, Black. But who else has done it better? I thought like, I, I thought mean, Black Panther was very much its own in kind of a category of its own I mean that was a very creative story to tell an origin story uh from you know where it really kind of explored this idea of you know the the this um
0: oh you son of a bitch what just <laughs> undermining my position
1: sorry man I hadn't thought
0: of that one Fa- Damn you. facts stink don't they um <laughs> coming right off the top rope set <laughs> Mm-hmm. No, but like a macho man
1: is Savage. Oh boy, you know it's getting real when he goes into the macho man uh, impersonation. Well, um, you know, but 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 I just don't to kind of very often. No, just just real quick, but, but just to kind of you know, just again to kind of point out how Marvel has done it. I I think they try to find creative ways to tell these stories, and with Black Panther, they, they chose um a different tone and kind of a different approach, um, where it's telling the story of how you know, the, the guy who ends up being the villain is kind of doing things from a perspective you kind of understand in a way, you know, where, where, where yeah. T'Challa has everything and he has nothing, you know, and, and has grown up in a, and, and he's like telling me, he's like, why, why are you keeping all of this, all of this to yourself? I mean, like there's oh, so many people that need this yeah. sort of stuff.
0: And dude, that, that whole, that whole origin, you know what? Okay. So three-way tie.
1: But I will give you that. Can, can I can, with, can I throw one more wrinkle in though, real quick? Oh, but damn it! But yeah, sure. Right on ahead. on the f- right on the flip side of that, I feel like Doctor Strange was very much a retread of Iron Man. In, in some, some ways,
0: I was about to go <laughs> with that one too. Because the thing is, like again, you you take the guy who has everything and you bring him down. Right. Right. And and so again. Uh, uh, I'll include this in the show notes for anyone who's interested. There's a there's a fantastic video of Kurt Vonnegut. Are you are you familiar with Kurt Vonnegut? I am familiar
1: with Kurt Vonnegut, yes.
0: And he describes the, the, the shape of stories and I will send I, I will I will send you the the YouTube video. Please do. I will also include it in the uh, in the, uh, in the show notes as well. So you'll be able to enjoy this as well. But he describes the different shapes of stories and it's hilarious because it really does boil down to the fact that, and it goes back to what we were talking about with character. Yeah. There's, there's only so many stories. There's the hero's journey. There's, you know, kind of that same story. And we see that story and we're happy to see that story many times, but the story, the story has to be with characters we actually care about, right, right. And if you don't care about the characters, well, who gives a damn? And
1: you only care about the characters if you invest the time to make them interesting. And we, I, yes. I mean, we we've gone quite long, not not quite the three fifty, but we're we're getting there. Um, but uh, yeah, but we're about two fifty. <laughs> we're about two fifty, but um, but we have a lot of examples of. Time not invested in characters, and why that has led to those stories not being as well told as they could have been. And
0: yes, and, and, I, and that's one of those examples where, like Battlestar Galactica, after listening to the the podcast and the commentary uh, yeah. tracks, they fought for those moments yeah. of like silence that showed character.
1: Yep, absolutely, and it paid off. Absolutely.
0: Paid off. Maybe it wasn't a show that went eight seasons, but it's four seasons where you watch it and you're like, son of a bitch. It's perfect. Yep. Yep. And I, I mean, I might have changed here and there and this and that and the other, but I don't know. Like those four seasons, this being what it is as a body of work, mm, I'll take it. Yeah. Absolutely. All right. So. Uh, let's head on to our final segment, as all the people who have made it this far are going, Thank you, Lord! Um, <laughs> that that, or they're saying, Wait, there's more! <laughs> oh, good Lord, I need to refresh my drink. <laughs> um, so, we're going to get to another thing.
1: And another thing!
0: Uh, this is where we try to... Uh, well, let's face it. We try to redeem ourselves from the past like, couple hours of idiocy that you have been gracious and, and, and listened to. And we try to recommend something that would actually be beneficial to your life. So uh, as usual, you know, I'm going to let Tim go first with this one because he usually is much more positive and wonderful and, <laughs> and giving in these. And you know what? If you don't fulfill on this one, it's all you. All right. Well, thank you,
1: my friend. Um, so, <laughs> <laughs> I'm just gonna
0: drop this one in your lap right now. Thank
1: you very much. Uh, so, my and another thing um, actually goes back to our uh, first podcast. Um, we talked a little bit about the band. Ooh, a reference? Yes. Uh, we talked a little bit about the band Rush, and um, on <laughs> just a little bit. And on uh, on Netflix, I actually went back and watched it because after our conversation, it just got me thinking about it again. But uh, if you're someone who is a fan of documentaries of uh, you know just reading story not reading stories but watching stories kind of play out that explain you know how something came to be uh, and and the facts around it and just uh, the, the the story behind it all uh, the, the the story uh, the documentary um, rush beyond the lighted stage would be for you Um it's one of the better documentaries I've seen about a rock band. Um, I, like I mentioned, I alluded it to uh, the band in the last podcast. But if you're a fan or not of them, um, you know, check it out. Uh, it's, it's basically about the band's four-decade journey of making music, uh, as they put it, on the shore of the mainstream. Um, the film tells their story in a very fun and engaging way uh, while showing how down-to-earth these uh, three amazing musicians truly are. Um, for me, I never realized, you know, a rock band could be uh, so grounded and humbled uh, at the same time as they are just amazing as musicians, and and so it's it's always a joy for me to watch it. Uh, there's a diverse group of interviewees: uh, Billy Corrigan, Jack Black, and Matt Stone from South Park. Um, you know, share stories of what the what made the band special for them. So. Um, that's going to be my, and another thing. So check it out. Uh, it's, it's a very, very well done documentary and really kind of explains, uh, in, in a very fun and engaging way, the, the story behind this band.
0: So Jack Black, Matt Stone, and who else? Billy Corgan, Uh,
1: among others. There's a lot of different guys that talk on this.
0: That's a diverse trio if there ever was one.
1: Uh, there's Trent Reznor. There's uh, Kurt uh, Kirk ha- Hammett from Metallica. There's a lot.
0: Yep. Damn. But but just the three that you chose to me just stood out. Like here's peanut butter, <laughs> maple syrup. Yep. And heroin. Yep. <laughs> I, okay, I'm in. I let me, I, I don't let me, know if I would use that. I don't know if I would
1: use that analogy, but okay, fine.
0: <laughs> no, that's that's what you told me before the podcast. That's how you described yes,
1: it. Yes, yes. And what is your and
0: another thing? <laughs> all right. So my another thing is, um, I, I, we've we are refli- wrestling aficionados, are we not? We are. Well, you more than actually me, because what was it? uh was it last year? Or no, WrestleMania was uh I think it was either I think it, or or it or
1: was last year. We we were online and we were kind of chatting through it. Yeah.
0: So I, I I I I subscribed to the WWE app and got my my free trial and watched WrestleMania and essentially had had Shabbat be my wrestling sherpa through <laughs> the whole thing cuz I hadn't watched wrestling in so long. Yes. And he he was so good to to describe to me like exactly what in the hell was going on um so i got back into wrestling a little bit i've i've been watching different videos and stuff because i i every morning i try to get up and get on an exercise bike because after our years working at uh at service merchandise my knees are shot sir along with my ankles At 43, that whole, like, oh, joint health, that's a serious damn thing, ain't it? Um, Jumping off a loading dock and running around in, like, ill-fitting boots on concrete (laughs) is no longer a laughing matter. No,
1: no, it's not. No, it's not. It has
0: life-changing consequences now because I can't run more than 10 (laughs) feet without serious pain. Oh, gosh. I wish I was kidding, but I ain't. Um, so, I get on a, a what we call a recumbent exercise bike, mm-hmm. which means it's the one that you sit down on. Okay. Yeah. Nice. Because that's just how much of a manly man I am. Of course. Um, so, I try to get on that dang thing every single morning for at least 30 to 45 minutes because otherwise, my love of carbs will take over my life. <laughs> um <laughs> And so while I'm doing that, I need to have some kind of distraction because just pedaling as you're staring at your garage wall will drive you insane. I'm just here to tell you, folks, if you if you if you're trying to get on a fitness regime, do either get out in the real world and run and bicycle and, and do your thing or distract the living crap out of yourself because otherwise you will fail. Um, So I distract the crap out of myself because uh, I Don't get out in the real world because I can't run and I don't have a good bike so I get on my exercise bike and I listen to podcasts I watch videos on YouTube and one of the things I've discovered that has become a true joy in my life is the Jim Cornette experience now if I remember correctly If I remember correctly, at one point, I believe someone that you know was at the raw taping that took place in Durham, New Hampshire, Mm -hmm. when Jim Cornett was there. Mm -hmm. And he showed up and he said, do you know where there's a Domino's pizza?
1: Oh, my gosh. I am now remembering that story. Oh, wow. Yes. I know exactly yeah. what you're talking about now. Yes.
0: You <laughs> totally didn't preview this. Oh, my but I, gosh. But I, I, actually, I actually deliberately saved that. Oh. Was that. Was that Matt?
1: No, it was uh, Mike.
0: Oh, okay. Yes. Anyway. Yes. So so Jim Cornette was, is one of the great, I guess you could call him talkers. In All of wrestling history and and he is one of he is a wrestling historian as well. If you watch any videos that you like Google Jim Cornette J-I-M for those of you Spelling impaired C-O-R-N-E-T-T-E On YouTube and you'll find some you'll find a bunch of videos and he'll he'll walk through his like wrestling archives, which is almost like Well, sort of like, you know, if you watch that, the, the Julia Roberts, Mel Gibson conspiracy theory vehicle (coughs) from the 90s. God. (laughs) That's the nearest, seriously, dude, that's the nearest I can come because it's like, it's that level for him. Like he has programs from like the fifties and the forties and he can tell the story of blah, 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 all the way back this dude lives and breathes wrestling he loves it oh yeah on a level that I don't think I could ever come close to yep. um but his his podcast is awesome it is not safe for work in any way shape or form don't listen to it around your kids or anyone whom you might want to make a good impression on yes yeah. um but it is phenomenal just in terms of hearing his thoughts and also just hearing about wrestling history yeah he's he's what they
1: call one of the best promo guys in the business and boy does he let it fly when he wants to
0: (laughs) yes he was the guy with the tennis racket in case you're wondering
1: yeah so
0: yeah so that was my uh that was my another thing um so at this point i think we should probably call this to a close do you have any last thoughts sir uh no no just uh like i said rush Beyond the lighted
1: stage, enjoy it.
0: No new taxes <laughs> wouldn't be prudent. <laughs> it felt like such a Dana Carvey sort of like George Bush sort of moment. Yeah. think like I needed to well, throw that in there. You
1: know, but no, it's uh, it, it has been a pleasure once again discussing uh, the finer points of minutia in our lives and uh, you know hashing it out about reboots and and uh, at least coming to a place where we agree. That Heath Ledger was good at being the
0: Joker, so. Oh, dude, not even good. Not even good. He was fantastic. He was. He was. And and let's face it, like, it's Heath Ledger number one, Jack Nicholson number two, uh, Cesar Romero number three, Jared Leto, <laughs> 63rd. <laughs> Oh, my gosh. I, I'm, going to, I'm going to give a good 60 other I'm, guys a chance at that. I'm
1: fine. I'm fine with that.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so we just appreciate anyone who happens to listen all the way through this. Yeah. Uh, so if you have made it this far, dear sweet Lord, seek counseling. <laughs> um, you probably need help at this point. Um, we thank you. Seriously. Thank you, and and feel free to subscribe and, you know, follow us on on Twitter and on Facebook. And, uh, you know, it's been a pleasure just yammering on and on and on and on and on. Likewise. And I apologize for Shabbat for his digressions, I know.
1: (laughs) Yes, I am just awful
0: with those, aren't I? (laughs) (laughs) All right. So we will be heading off and uh, and we will have our next episode up soon. So uh definitely make sure you subscribe so that you can catch every single episode of free range it is see nice and fresh. Like a like a loaf of bread that just comes out of the oven. If you smell, oh good no, it Lord. doesn't work. I'm sorry, Dwayne will sue our ass in a hot <laughs> second. All right, unless he wants to be a guest on here and slum it, that's fine. <laughs> we'll, we'll take just it. Just saying, Dwayne, we'll take just it. Just saying, Dwayne, we're, we're here. <laughs> we, we, we did a whole lot of videos with you know, talking about you. You think you're fantastic. <laughs> I love <laughs> you, baby Alright, until next time, my friend. <laughs> Alright, y'all have a great time. We'll see you next time. I don't want to be okay. Your new baby